So we mostly have stories today. They came to mind as I was thinking about how it is that we have a sense of what's important or what's good or bad in our lives. We have so many opinions about that. If somebody says, how are things going? You will immediately brighten and say something good or you know, sort of cast your eyes down and say, well, I'm having this problem with... We're very clear on what are our problems and what are our boons. But I thought I'd start with this, called Good or Bad Fortune. You may have heard it. A farmer had only one horse, and one day the horse ran away. The neighbors came to console him over his terrible loss. The farmer said, What makes you think it is so terrible? A month later, the horse came home, this time bringing with her two beautiful wild horses. The neighbors became excited at the farmer's good fortune. Such lovely, strong horses. The farmer said, What makes you think this is good fortune? The farmer's son was thrown from one of the wild horses and broke his leg. All the neighbors were very distressed. Such bad luck. And the farmer said, What makes you think it is bad? A war came, and every able-bodied man was drafted and sent into battle. Only the farmer's son, because he had a broken leg, remained. The neighbors congratulated the farmer. What makes you think this is good? said the farmer. And so on. (laughs) Yeah, so... So I think maybe we could imagine an idea of secret blessings, is that we don't necessarily... uh, We may have things in our lives that are secretly going to bloom at some point or suddenly come together in some way, especially if we're open to that. I saw an interesting uh, movie recently called Monk with a Camera, I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's about, um, I won't relate the whole story, but it's about uh, a Western man who became inspired to ordain as a monk. He ordained as a Tibetan monk. and um, But in his life before that, in his regular life, he was um, very much an artist and very much a sensual kind of lover of the world. And he always, uh, he was a photographer actually and quite a talented one. And he always had this conflict in his practice because he felt like as a monk he was supposed to be more austere than that, that he wasn't supposed to have this interest in the world and that you know, he might be mm, you know, a little bit too sensually oriented, if you will. And so he tried to kind of downplay that part of himself and work with it, work with his desires and his uh, sense like that. And... There came a time, but he was very drawn to the teachings and to the monastic life. It wasn't that he was forcing himself to do that. He knew that was his real calling. So it was a real kind of, you know, something to work with in his mind and heart. And eventually he had the opportunity to become the abbot of a monastery in Tibet, actually the first Western abbot ever of a monastery there. And this was in about 2000, 
seven or so, a little before that maybe. And they were promised a bunch of money to renovate the monastery, and he was going to take over as abbot and help it grow. But in 2008, with the financial crash, all of that fell through, and the money disappeared. And they had taken on a bunch of new monks. They had obligations. They had hired workers. They, they wanted to go forward, but there was, there was no money. And so he remembers his photographs, and he goes on a world tour, and he sells them. And through his efforts, uh, raises enough money for the monastery to go on. Why? Because he had this incredible talent in photography, and he worked with it and thought it was a sensual delight that he should let go of. But it ended up being very important. It's a good movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then I think also about, um, you know, in my earlier life, I was, uh, for a while, I've done a lot of different things, but for a while I was an analyst, and I worked with Excel spreadsheets. I was very good with Excel. And uh, a lot of abstract thinking, and, and that became hard for me when I uh, became a more serious meditator. Uh, that kind of thinking was um, less natural. I wanted to be more in a relational heart space. And I thought for a while that this was kind of a detriment, that I had such a rational mind, <coughs> logical mind, and I was going to need to somehow get rid of all that. And... Um, Somehow it would have to be replaced in some way. And then um, I moved into the Insight Retreat Center right when it opened in 2012. And, you know, they were fishing around for people, and I was available. So that was good. There were only two of us when we first opened it, two of us living there. And uh, it happened that they had booked a bunch of retreats because... You know, there was a retreat center, and so there were these retreats starting. And we needed a system for uh, organizing the yogis and giving them all yogi jobs. So I created an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> very fairly quickly that um, had some, you know, some programming in it, some sophistication so that you couldn't assign the same person to two different jobs. You couldn't assign two, the same job to two different people, you know, things like that. And I taught the teachers how to use it. And it turns out that to this day, that spreadsheet is still used. You know how it is, the first thing you create. And you say, well, well, we'll replace it later with something else, but you never do. It has been modified by people who know more programming than I do since then. But it turned out to be uh, very useful. It really saved a lot of time in those early months. So I think there's a few lessons. You know, one is this hidden blessings idea. So that don't throw anything out. You don't know when it's going to be useful for you or when it's going to turn out to be more fortunate than you thought or less, sometimes less fortunate than you thought, like in the farmer story. Maybe we shouldn't judge so quickly the things in our lives as to whether they're convenient or inconvenient or good or bad. Extra mental effort to do all that. And then maybe another idea is to include all of ourselves, you know, and not to have these parts that we think aren't as useful or aren't as spiritual or something. We all have what we have, and all of it is spiritual if you have a spiritual practice and see it that way. All of it counts. Well, 
I wanted also to share this poem. It's about a holiday dinner, so it's, you know, maybe like a month out of date, but or two. But still, the idea is really... Though the world is dented and dinged and scuffed and scorned, we trim the beans and peel the potatoes, and the kitchen is warm and full of laughter. We hum as we work and break into scraps of song. All day our hands are joyful as they prepare the meal to come. There are wars and battles even now, not all of them fought with guns, some waged intimately in our thoughts, our scraped-up hearts. And still... This scent of apple pie, sweetening as it bakes, this inner insistence that love is not only possible, it is every bit as real as our fear. Whether the host has brought out his best wine and his best crystal glasses, or water in chipped clay cups, there is every reason to be generous, to serve not only our family, our friends, ourselves, but also those we don't yet know how to love, and those parts of ourselves we have tried to keep separate. Tonight the host has hidden bait in the dinner, and we are all caught. Scent of sage, scent of mushrooms and cream, the bite of cranberry. Never mind the potatoes cooked too long. Blessings seep into all the imperfect places. Even if you can't name the blessings, consider them secret ingredients. The point is not to understand the feast, but to eat, to eat it together. These are my thoughts for today. I wonder if you have any comments or questions. Yeah. I had something very similar thought about two hours ago when I was just driving in my car and somebody was just honking at me and like screaming and just really angry, hmm. right, you know. Um, but, you know, when I, apparently I was going too slow. And, uh, you know, my initial reaction was to, you know, think of, you know, either I had done something wrong or he had done something wrong, you know, but there was a reaction there. And then what I realized is that, hey, you know, we live in this world where there's a, you know, equal amount of, you know, positive and negative. So, you know, that's just how it is. Mm. Yeah. I've never added it up to know if it's actually equal. <laughs> but well, isn't that the Buddhist teaching? They both come. Well, this is a great opportunity down here, right? It's not too good, not too bad. It's well, they do say that that's special about the human realm, is that it's, uh, it's okay. <laughs> That's what's good about the human realm is that it's it's okay. Um, yeah, you're alluding to the teaching that if if everything is too good as it is sometimes said to be up in the heaven realms, then we're not that motivated to practice. <laughs> you know, it's like eh, things are okay. But of course, if things are get too difficult, like in the hell realms, so called, then uh, it's also difficult to practice because we just don't have the bandwidth. But here in our lives, where we have the some good and some challenging, perfect place to become enlightened. Yeah, I figure that's kind of the middle path and the middle way. That's one use of the yeah. term in a way. Yeah, I saw another hand. Yeah, as we were sitting, I heard 
a woman's voice going by, and she said, I haven't had a kid-free weekend. And da, 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 I don't remember the rest of what she said. I can't remember, she said. So a lot of us, particularly maybe those of us who had children, and I can relate to her, you know, frustration and her feeling of, I need some time for me. And immediately what popped into my head was a scene of African women sitting by the river, watching their kids and talking amongst themselves in a very relaxed way and thinking how difficult it is in our modern world with all its conveniences and all its choices, how difficult it is to find balance in our lives. And I'm sure that this mother loved her children dearly and wanted to be with them and wanted to do the best for them and at the same time didn't feel like there was enough for what she needed. Mm. And that balance, you know, I think, oh, I was really lucky to be able to stay home with my children during the early years. Um, finding, finding the right balance. Mm. You know, for us it meant some economic, quote, hardship, not real hardship, but finding balance in our lives. This is good, this is not good. Maybe it's great, you know, that you get to stay home. Maybe it's not so great. And I don't have any answers. I'm just putting that out there. I, I know a bunch of other people heard it too. Thank you. Yeah. Did you have something else? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this particular coming several days is really um, a place where I'm looking for balance. And I am I'm struggling with that. Um, that balance of how active can I be in going after what I believe in and value, the question of my own personal safety, balance doing that, and how to assess that, and to feel not overwhelmed, the balance between being able to be present but not overcome. Yeah. So that that's that's up for me. Yeah, and you know we're we have to have this place to It's good. This is a, a refuge for all of us in whatever we, we need. And the gift, you know, one gift that we have is this practice of mindfulness that helps us check in with how we are so that we can find that balance of, am I at the point where I'm a little overwhelmed or I need a weekend without the kids or, um, or you know, do I have more strength than I realize, you know, by tuning in and simplifying my life and having a clear understanding of my values, I actually find energy I didn't know I had and can step forward. But it's important to check in and to have friends, of course, that we can talk with in order to decide how to balance our lives. And and I encourage this openness of not not quite knowing if something is going to be a blessing or a, or, or not. Um, yeah, not prejudging those things. 
um, I'm not from here, and I'm from Canada, and but I stay down here for like sometimes months at a time, and I've been online dating, and I, I met somebody who I had a, I felt like a real connection with. He didn't feel the same way, <laughs> and uh-huh. so um, it really touched um, on that core wound of unlovability, mm-hmm. and so. I, I couldn't sit with it. I was just so restless, and I was trying to do everything. And then today, I was listening to a talk by Tara Brock, and it was like the farmer um, awakening through change and loss. And I, I finally just sat with it and just felt it and grieved it. Um, and then I could see the good in it, the mm-hmm. like that it helped me to awaken to. Yeah, I just feel so different. Like yesterday was really like a struggle, and today a shift. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. and it's the same situation. You still yeah. have the loss in yeah. a sense um, and the grief, and yet there's a different perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great gift. Mm-hmm. Sometimes an interesting reflection is we can take something from the past that we judged at the time to be something very terrible, and and you know, and, and I'm not denying that it. You know, it probably probably was a big loss and caused a lot of pain. Of course, those were real at the time. But look back and see if the, if maybe some good things also came out of it in some way. Check if it was really one hundred percent, and then we can honor all of it. You know, then we can open to the reality of yes, this had many different aspects to it. Taste all of them. It's beautiful that you're able to open and feel all of that. That's actually the the way that the path opens is when we have enough capacity to begin to feel, and that takes some practice. If we get to something where we feel like I, I don't have the capacity to hold this, then we know, okay, later. We just sensibly turn away a little bit with the intention of opening at some other time. Thank you, everyone.